this in forever, man. And the river she rises. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. Just like you. Hey, before we get off the topic of uh, our fascination with true crime and with murder shows and with mobster shows and all the flawed heroes we've come to love in recent years, from The Godfather to Walter White of Breaking Bad to Tony Soprano, Dexter, Matt referenced Dexter. Don Draper. Don Draper, yeah. We love a flawed hero. We can relate more to a flawed hero than we can a Marvel superhero. Right? We all can. I mean, Superman's attraction was, you know, we could all be this closet superhero with this mild-mannered daily persona. And our, you know, our inner superhero, when needed, will step up to do the right thing and, and save the day. But with a flawed hero, I mean, we're, we all can relate to that. The guy who's just, you know, driven to, to, to extremes in his, during his circumstances, you know, that cause him to just do what he's got to do to win. You know, Walter White, that's, that's one of the greatest characters ever, ever created. Absolutely. A guy whose skill was underappreciated, whose genius was, you know, wasn't valued until he got into the, the right arena, you know, and then he was the man. Oh, God, that's a great story. It's so well done. So many people texted in about why they like the true crime shows. Sean from Tacoma, I'm a 64-year-old male, and I've kind of obsessed with these true crime shows like Forensic Files and others. Only because I have three retired cops in my family and an AA degree in law enforcement. The main thing that attracts me to these isn't the gooey details of the crime, but all the things these creeps do to think they'll cover up the crime or outsmart the cops. It's sometimes amusing how they slip up, but they often, you know, amazing how DNA solves the crime. I never watch any of those crime shows that are not true or real crime shows. So fictitious crime shows just don't do it. He's got a career in, uh, you know, family members in law enforcement, a career in criminology. So, I've got, this is, my my sister told me this today. I've got a a niece down in Florida. Great kid. Smart kid. Artistic kid, too. You know, really creative. Draws the creepiest things you've ever seen in your life. I mean, sometimes it terrifies me, the creepy stuff my niece will draw. I mean, Disturbed art, okay? But, you know, very talented. Actually uh, is is right now up for a a scholarship award. Has already won her regional competition. Um, moving on to the state level for an artistic uh, comp- scholarship competition. And if she wins that, they'll move on. They'll win some scholarship money and then go to a national level of this competition. And it's And the artwork she submitted to this wasn't... As you know, monstery and creepy and ghoul, ghoulish, you know the kind of stuff you see in like uh, a comic book, you know, monster art. But very, very talented. But my, what my sister told me that's relevant to this topic is that she has an interest in criminology, and she is a kids of a four student, and her interests are in forensics and criminology. And my sister is thinking of putting her in a six-week course over the summer. Through, I think she said it was Brown University, which is up in the Boston area. And they're down in Florida. But it's a six-week summer course, like a summer camp, uh, like for beginning criminology and forensics. 
That's what she wants to do with her summer, my niece. She wants to take a six-week, five-day-a-week summer college course, credit course, in criminology and forensics. So she might end up like Abby on NCIS. That's her hero. Yes. Absolutely her hero. Right? And that that's cool. You know, and it's, you know, part of that study that we, or that article I was reading off CNN about why we like true crime and why is it unethical for us to like true crime dramas. Part of the, the story was that women tend to be drawn to this field more so than men. Like 73% of the people that work in criminology, in the lab and forensics element of criminology, 73% are women. And one of the deductions from uh, assumptions, I should say, one of the assumptions by one of the writers of this article was that women are more empathetic by nature. That's kind of been proven out through time. Women are more nurturing, more empathetic, and they can relate to victims more so. And they have a dedication to solving the crime more so than men do. And when I, you know, when I think about this, it's and, and my sister telling me that my niece is just, that's all she wants to do. First off, I said, you know, for, if a kid knows what they want to do at 15, pursue it, you know, and it, it help them out. Unless it's radio, then warn them. Then warn, warn them, them, warn them. Now. <laughs> well, you know, or you intervene, could be, call an intervention. You could be as dumb as me. And if it's acting, you know, support that acting dream and you'll they'll be living in your basement forever. Trust me, I know. <laughs> um, so. <sighs> anyway. I think it's, and we all like them. Somebody, because it's murder porn. I've heard that called too, murder porn. But but that's got a lot of validity to it, actually. It really does. 253 wrote that. You know, there's there's something in your brain that is stimulated by the the mystery, the deductive skills needed for these shows. You know, our brain loves problem solving. From the 206. Boy, you're not wrong about this. I remember when the TV hero was a defense attorney like Perry Mason. You know. <laughs> yeah. And now it's totally flipped. Although you, the texture points out, to, it, sometimes TV, dude, some TV shows glorify bad cops. Which TV shows glorify bad And there, I know you're right. There's got to be. There's there there be. has to be an anti-hero cop somewhere. Yeah. In Breaking Bad, Mike was a former cop who turned to being a utility player for all sorts of bad interests because yeah. after the corruption and loss of his son, right. he lost faith in the systems. Oh, and, and but I can't like I'm trying to think of who is glorifying bad cops. Hello, Dexter. Duh. Oh, right. Right. You know. You know. Huh. You know who's glorifying bad cops? Yeah. Okay. Only the guy killing people who got away, and he, oh, the serial killer who's given some vigilante justice by killing the bad right, guys. Right, he cleaned that up guy. for the sloppy cops. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Oh. So, you know, we talked with Frank last week about award season. The Oscars are coming up. They made the Oscar nominations. And, and I heard Bill Maher make this joke over the weekend. I watched, you know, Real Time with Bill Maher over the weekend because I'm a as I mentioned, card-carrying, you know, libtard, virtue-signaling, social warrior. Um, and that's what Bill Maher does for me. Although Bill Maher is a little more, he, he likes poking fun and stupidity on both sides of the aisle. I'll give him that. He's a libertarian by nature. Um, he made a joke about, do we still call them best actor, best actress? Is that still okay? 
So many folks, and I'm, you know, I've said this numerous times, you know, I, I have no problem with anybody's gender fluidity. I have no problem with anybody being happy in their own skin and identifying as whatever makes them feel like the person they feel they are inside. I'm not for, I'm not for surgery to minors. I'm not for hormonal treatments to young children who don't really know who they are yet. You know, I think all things with medical supervision, whether it's psychological or, or, or emotional chemical have to be very carefully weighed. I think parents should be involved in those decisions. So it's, it, that's a tough needle to thread. But that being said, if someone identifies as a gender other than what they were born, who are we to deny them peace of mind, happiness, a sense of fulfillment? You know, we all, we all want to be happy in our own skin. Some folks just never are. And there was a time in this country where it was horrible to just to be gay, you know, let alone be trans, let alone feel like you were never the person you never identified as the person you were born. You know, I'm not for letting a five-year-old pick what their gender is. I don't think that's appropriate. I think you have to let kids grow up and experience some things, let them be fluid, let them bounce around and try different stuff on and figure out who they are. I bring all this up but because there's a story in, it's called Deadline.com. And Sam Mendes is a, is a director, very famous director. His new film is uh, Empire of Light which I'm looking forward to seeing. looks looks wonderful. But he's saying there it's inevitable that there will be gender-neutral awards in the future. He says it's inevitable. Why, why, why shouldn't there be? Why won't there be? Does that mean that it'll just be one lead actor? It won't be an actor and actress category? Or that there will be a non-binary category for actors? I think I think that's a little weird, the non-binary category. I don't know. I mean, I'm all for accommodating folks and make and being happy, but I don't know how I'd, I don't know how I'd thread that needle. I think it'd probably be more appropriate to just have an actor. All are all are welcome. All are included in the same category. Do you think that'd be appropriate? Or should male roles and male actors have a category and female actors, female roles have a category of their own? This is one of those where I feel you lose no matter which choice you make. Mm. Because those categories were introduced for a reason, for rep- representation reasons to begin with. Yeah, you're right. You're so absolutely right. So taking them away... And say, all right, that that that's presuming we've reached equality at that point. That's assuming that we're there, that what they wanted to right. achieve has been achieved, right? Right, right. Then you take it away, which, ah, yeah, that's that's a tough. It one. is. So you know, we have he and she categories. Do we need a they them category? Maybe you know, maybe maybe that's the that's the. Solution, but then you know that that's I, it may be the right thing to do. The intent seems like an inclusive and open-minded and open-hearted solution, but I can't imagine there'll be five different nominees in the they/them category. You know, uh, while I'm while I'm open-minded 
And I don't mean, I'm not trying to be smart ass about it. You know, it's, I still think it's, it's not a third of the population. At least not at this point. Who knows where we'll evolve to? I mean, you know, there are people who fear that we'll all be the same tone at the end of a few more generations and there'll be no races and there'll be no sexes. We'll be just one, you know, one shade of M&M all running around looking exactly the same. All the real slim shadies. <laughs> yeah. Boy, is that just, is that, that's, is that an uber woke topic? Is that what this one is? It's, it's definitely one of the complexities that we have not worked out yet. Uh, Yeah. It's as they say, it's a bit above my pay grade. Yeah. There's a uh, Emma Corrin is a she's an actor. Are they? Excuse me, they're an actress. Emma Corrin. Did you ever see The Crown? Emma Corrin played Diana in The Crown. Okay. And Emma Corrin is, I guess, non-binary. Identifies as non-binary. They them. And again, I have no problem with any of that. That's I think it's fantastic. I'm happy that Emma Corrin is comfortable in their own skin. I think that's exactly what God wanted and your parents want for you and your family wants for you. And I, as a fan, it's what their fans want for them, for Emma Corrin. But Emma Corrin's one said, I, I don't think the categories are inclusive enough because there's just the gender, male and female categories. And non-binary folks don't have a category of their own. And Matt, I think you're right. I think whatever solution they come up with is going to make the entire process diminished. And I hate to say that, that being more inclusive would diminish the process. But again, I don't think that the third of a population feels non-conforming to that degree. And maybe if you identify as non-binary if you if you if you identify as a I mean it's one thing if you're a male who identifies as a female then if you want to be an actor considered for award season for consideration you would be considered in the category you identify as I think that would you know I mean it's one thing to have a six foot four trans swimmer competing against women I can see where folks have a problem with that from the biological advantages I mean that's you know, I, that's a tough issue for me, having the male who identifies as a female compete in a female sport. I, I, I hate when folks get up on their horses about not letting them and that trans people should have the right to be included in every aspect of life. But, I, you know, I'm a fairness guy and I don't know that you don't have a, a physical advantage. But for actors, I don't think that's the case. Right? It's like they're weightlifting in the Olympics. And I just don't know that there'll be enough non-binary folks to warrant their own category. And I don't mean to dismiss the talent of Emma Corrin or the fact that, you know, they, they have done work, quality, quality, you know, quality work worthy of nomination. In fact, uh, they won a Best Actress. Emma Corrin won a Best Actress Award and a Golden Globe for a show called The Policeman. Best Actress. Television Series Drama Category. Nominated the same year for a Primetime Emmy as Lead Actress in a Drama Series. But as their pronouns are they, them, they don't feel as included. 
That you know that's that's kind of hate to say this next phrase, but that's kind of that's kind of the way it goes. You know, if you want to be an actress considered for awards, you know, that's great. And if you want to identify as a they them, more power to you, but it comes with a price. Much like free speech comes with the consequences of what you say. You know, if you identify as a they them, maybe the consequence of that is there's only two categories in the award season based on the traditional genders of of culture as we've known it. But you know what? Takes pioneers to change things. Maybe Emma Corrin is the pioneer that we need to to get things changed to be more inclusive. Who knows? I just I realized we hadn't done enough for the woke portion of our audience today. So that's what this is. This is my uber woke tribute to you. This is you strapping on your woke foot soldier boots. Yes. Uh, when you say strap, six cups of what, what, coffee. What, when you say strap on, my uh, boy, I'm really glad you said boots. <laughs> I really am, because that really could have gone to a dark and dangerous place. I'm glad you heard that correctly. There, there could have been consequences for our free speech there, my friend. Oh, yeah. Yours, maybe. Oh, yeah, mine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You're just going to have plausible deniability. And say, I just push the buttons, boss. I don't know what he says in there. The real problem is the coffee he ingests on a daily basis. I'm Spike O'Neill. My good friend Matt Butler at the board. It's Kyra Knights. We'll be right back for you. February. This is a fun way to make a living, isn't it, Matt? It is. Someone to love. Someone, yes, someone to love. So you know, it's funny. I got to I got to work middays last week with Jack Stein, and you know, we touched on a few different topics that were controversial that we disagreed on, which was nice. It was nice to have spirited discussions with someone who doesn't agree with you. That's Those are the greatest parts of talk radio is having somebody that you disagree with who can uh, civilly and respectfully make their points, counter everything argument that you make. It was it felt really good to mentally um, have these verbal jousting sessions with Jack. He's very good at it. And I, I you know, I probably got the best of me most times, I'm thinking. I think I held my own on a few different issues. But people always say, why don't you guys talk more about how our government wastes money, how our government does this, our government, you know, government accountability, which was the Dory Monson hallmark. That was Dory's greatest asset. His greatest skill set was being the watchdog, holding people's feet to the fire. So the story that came out last week about the, the Pentagon can't account for $220 $220 billion of gear that was given to various contractors. You know, we talk about government accountability and where our tax dollars go and should we be spending on this? Should we be spending on that? Do we want to cut social programs? Do we want to not have welfare state? You know, all the, those are all great questions. Those are all 
discussions worth having. But when you talk about the bulk of our budget, our federal budget, where your tax dollars and my tax dollars go, the Pentagon failed a fifth consecutive audit in November, right? And I'm not talking about they misplaced, they misplaced some money. They did, you know, but I'm not talking, the Pentagon could only account for 39% of its $3.5 trillion dollars in assets. The Pentagon could only account for 39% of its, of its assets. You know, the, the Pentagon received $858 billion last year in this last, this last bill, this omnibus bill that was passed, right? This got to fund the military, got to fund the military, a 10% budget increase from the previous year to $858 billion. I think that's like equal to the 26 largest countries that follow us on military spending, 25 of which are allies. When you can't account for 60%, 61% of your assets, you don't know where they are. Nearly two-thirds of everything you've got money to build, you don't know where it is. You can't account for it. How is that possible? Under Under any administration, Democratic or Republican, how is that possible? That that kind of that kind of Pentagon military, and not even waste. I mean, that's you can't even call that waste. That's having no control. That's people just throwing money at everything, blindly. And you have representatives like Chip Roy of Texas who are displaying, attempting to display this as defense cuts. And it's not. If This article is from Reason.com, which is a libertarian-based news and commentary source. has some great material there. And they point out rightly that if the Department of Education couldn't account for more than 39% of its assets, conservatives would rightly be concerned about the waste. If the DOT had misplaced more than $220 billion in equipment, they would likely haul Pete Buttigieg before a committee to give an answer. The Pentagon, this article argues, should be treated no differently. And I can uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. But And I can understand how, for security reasons, we can't know a lot of things about what the Pentagon does. I mean, I, I, I get the value of a free press and transparency is important. And I understand that there's going to be some things, you know, we're doing things to keep you safe. And that costs money. And if we said what it was we're doing, it would undermine the efforts to keep America safe. But you also want that money to be going to things that actually keep people safe, not being siphoned off or lost elsewhere. No, I get it. And and the fact that defense contractors get insanely, insanely rich and there's lots of them. It's the biggest the biggest slice of our budget by far is is defense spending, military spending. And there's a portion of it where we, we can't know about cybersecurity. We can't know about surveillance security because if if we were transparent, the people we're trying to protect us from would know what we're doing too. That's the downside of a free and fair and open society is that sometimes you got to keep secrets. But when you only can account for 39% of your assets and you're the biggest slice of the federal budget. 
I thought there was a very neat uh, piece of bipartisanship around this issue. A bipartisan group of senators, including Chuck Grassley, an Iowa Republican, Mike Lee, also a Republican of Utah, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and Oregon's Ron Wyden proposed this solution. They proposed a bill that would cut automatically 1% from the budget of any part of the Pentagon that fails annual audit. If that had passed, 20 of the 27 Pentagon agencies would have faced cuts this year. And and what would you rather cut? The military who can't account for what money you're giving them? Or, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the things that keep the older Americans, the generation that built this thing we call America, out of poverty and keep them healthy and alive. But that's where the cuts are proposed, right? The social safety net. I mean, what kind of country does that? Let's make sure that your grandparents don't have enough to live on, but let's just keep throwing tanks and planes and jets and rockets and bombs to whichever you know spending contractor donates to the campaigns that get these guys elected, that keep throwing money, and that, that circle of death keeps running around, chasing its own tail, can't account for... If, you're right, if any other agency was so irresponsible that they couldn't account for 61% of their assets, their, their hair would be on fire. Congress's hair, and and rightfully so, their hair would be on fire. You want to talk about hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing? You know, I'd listen to those. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If some secretary of whatever department, transportation, you know, HUD, whatever, education, if they were blowing up that kind of budget and not being able to to tell you where – Two-thirds of the money was going, we'd go nuts, as, as rightfully so. We should go nuts. Why shouldn't the Defense Department be held to that same standard? Okay, and if you got, look, this is X amount of dollars is going to this, and this is what it does, but we can't tell you how and why. That, that would clear up a large amount of the missing money, but not all of it. Yeah, this is this isn't even we have a defensible purpose for this, but we can't disclose it. It's right. literally this went out the back door, flew up the chimney. We have no idea. We have no idea where it's at right now. Yeah, we're talking about and we're talking about equipment for the most part too. This is three point five trillion dollars in assets that they can't account for. Not just that we can't tell you what it's be, what's being done with it, but twenty out of twenty seven departments suggest there's a lot of waste in a lot of different ways. Seriously, <laughs> that's. That's ridiculous. Why why aren't we flipping out about that? Because it's defense? Because certain things culturally are protected. We've seen that happen in law enforcement for so long. That's why we're where we are at now with that. Absolutely right. The military is the same way. People just want to believe and have faith that they're doing the right thing. So they don't necessarily hold them to the same standards of examination. Well, I think we've turned a corner with you can you can call bad law enforcement officers out without condemning law enforcement as a as a as a trade as as an element of society. We've I think we've turned that corner with that stupid ass defund the police movement. We how, how ill advised that was. Okay, that's not what we meant. That's that was the wrong phrasing. We want accountability and we respect law enforcement. Let's have the same point of view with military. You can you can 
Ask the Pentagon where all the damn money went without saying you're not supporting the troops. Exactly. Because this ain't the troops. These are the troops in business suits that are lobbying politicians. The and, ones and, running TV ads around the Beltway for their preferred presidential candidate because they're afraid they'll get less money next time. That's exactly what they are. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. We'll be right back to read your text right after these. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. job, my friend. A little seeker for you from The Who. Well done. Lots of great text tonight, although when someone asked me if I like Secretary Rick Perry in the Department of Energy, I... Thanks, Dennis. I'm not sure I get the reference. Boy, Rick Perry was a scary bird, wasn't he? He, he went, was a character, to put it mildly. He asked to become Secretary of Energy, if I remember correctly, because he wanted to get ties to the energy industry for his post-political career, not realizing that the, the Department of Energy was in charge of our nuclear program. And I mean bombs, <laughs> nuclear defense, not just you know nuclear reactors. Well, his presidential campaign bombed, so I it, guess he knows something about bombs. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> We talked about uh, gender fluidity, and lots of folks had great things to say about that. Um, A lot of people agreed that it's tough to watch athletics um, as a vehicle for equality in the trans community because it just doesn't seem fair to those competing in that arena. And I understand that folks who are trans shouldn't have to miss out on some things in life. You know, they they should be allowed to be included in every aspect of life. The challenge for idealists, particularly on the left, is that you are never going to make life on Earth completely fair. It's an impossible, it's an admirable task, right. and, but it's also impossible. And, there, and there's going to be a price to pay for it. If you want the equality or the, the freedom to feel someone other than you were born, the price to pay may be that you're not going to be able to compete at a collegiate or Olympic level in the sport of, that you love and have trained for. That's the cost of transitioning. And, you know, and at the end of the day, your decision was probably much better for your mental health and total well-being to just do what made you feel better. Talk about the Oscars. They're going to be a gender-neutral Oscar category. That's kind of how we got on this whole topic of, of, of gender neutrality and gender fluidity. And a texture says, I still say it should be actor and actress based on the role. And sometimes there will be roles that are non-binary. Maybe could create an award for that. But then that's a whole argument too. Can yeah? Can binary people play non-binary characters? Like that's a whole debate in and of itself. Do you remember when they took John Wayne and sprayed his skin brown and he played Genghis Khan? I mean, they did. You know, a little before my time. Remember, remember when Al Jolson? You know who Al Jolson is, oh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, blackface. Al Jolson was the biggest star on the face of the earth at one time. But those were the social norms. It's what Bill Maher called presentism, where you judge everything in history by the filter that we live in today. Right. And that's just not fair to us. It's not fair to history. Those were different times. You know, and today that, of course, it wouldn't or shouldn't fly. 
But those were different times. You can't judge people from the past based on the standards we hold. We've evolved to today. Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. George Washington owned slaves. Doesn't mean they were bad individuals. It means they were products of their time. The Constitution was written giving Africans, not even say African Americans, Africans three-fifths of a human being in value. That was the, the norm. These were the greatest minds of their generation. They created the greatest government system in, in the world's history of the idea of self-governance. And they still thought that blacks should be three-fifths of a human. So nobody was perfect, and we evolved through that. We're growing together. We're coming up better today than we were yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow, as the song goes. It's, it's towards a more perfect union. There you go. It doesn't presume that we will reach perfection in our lifetimes. By the way, can anybody say the preamble without singing it, thanks to Schoolhouse Rock? Right? If you, if you ask me to, to say the preamble for $1,000, about halfway through I'd be, establish justice, you know, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. Schoolhouse Rock was the jam. Boy, that night I kind of went sideways and screamed at everybody to go home and watch some damn Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Oof. Oof. It's probably the best idea I've ever had on the radio. And I think the creator of that just passed away about a month ago, two, two months ago. Oh. I saw that in the news. One of the driving forces behind Schoolhouse Rock probably did more for an, probably did more for a generation of young Americans than all the money we spent on the education system during that entire gener- that same generation when Schoolhouse Rock was on Saturday mornings. You know, multiplication rock, history rocks, you bet, grammar rock, Schoolhouse Rock. I learned more about the country, Three Ring Circus, the government, the whole nine yards. Awesome. <sighs> uh, Matt started off the show tonight with television. Not the not the medium, <laughs> the band. Because <laughs> T- Tom Verlaine, am I pronouncing that right? Give him the credit due. You are correct. Tom Verlaine, guitarist for the television, passed away today. The band that launched other bands like the Velvet Underground. Right. It's just one of those musicians, musicians, incredible yep. guitar player. So our condolences to his family, along with Barrett Strong, 81-year-old writer of so many classics like Pop Was a Rolling Stone. Mm, this is nice. And Cindy Williams passed away too. Shirley Feeney from Laverne and Shirley. Cindy Williams. Anyway, we're glad you guys joined us tonight. We'll be back tomorrow night to do this again. Thanks for being a part of it, Matt. As always, my friend. Always a pleasure. See you tomorrow.